We're going to be looking at a couple of passages of Scripture in Matthew chapter 3 and Romans chapter 6, and we're going to be uh, talking about an issue, the issue of baptism. And, uh, but before we do that, I want to answer some questions for you. Many of you are new. Some of you are just checking our church out. And there's so many questions that we get each week. So I wanted to take just a moment and answer uh, 20 questions for you very briefly. These are the top 20 questions that we are asked at Rock Point. I wanted you to uh, uh, get some answers for questions that you may have. Uh, number one, or number 20 question, we're going to go backwards here. Uh, where are your church offices? Our church offices are located at uh, 6925 Hawk Road. And uh, this is about two miles west of here. Take a ride on Shiloh. And uh, Ed Brock and Ruth Brock actually have an office, a uh, little situation over there that they uh, allow us to use. And um, that's where we're officing. We didn't have enough room here at the church. We have one little small closet, but the rest of it's all being used. And so that's where our main offices are. Do you have altar calls? Altar calls, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, or when people come forward uh, to make some kind of decision at the end of the service. We actually have one, but it's very low-key. Um, I personally believe it's the Spirit of God that draws people to repentance, that draws people to come to know Christ. And that uh, if I seek to manipulate you, then shame on me. Okay, uh, sometimes people do, sometimes people uh, just check it on their card and we meet with them one-on-one -on -one and, and visit with them that way. Nothing wrong with altar calls. Uh, we do know this, that they really weren't done like uh, we know them today until about the 19th century when Charles Finney started doing them. Uh, so it's really more of a, a matter of taste how churches do it. And uh, this is kind of the way that we choose to do it, and um, so that's the way it happens. So, yes, we have one, but it's very low-key. Uh, number the, number 18, what is the size of your church? We're somewhere around the neighborhood of 300 families. We have three worship services, and um, I'll let you figure out how many there are. You can ask Brian Blendon because I, I really don't know. Uh, number 17, do you have a weekday preschool? We'll be starting one in September. Uh, number 16, how do I join the church? You can do that. Uh, we have a class, a membership class that we do every other month uh, at 8 a.m. here uh, at the church, or you can do it through a ministry that you choose to get involved with. Uh, through that minister can sit down and go one-on-one -on -one with you through our ministry structure and through our membership process. Um, where do you, uh, excuse me, how do I join the church? We just answer that. What is baby dedication? We just had that this morning. That's a commitment and blessing, blessing time of the child and of the parent. Uh, where do you do baptism? Well, uh, we're going to have baptism today after the 1130 service, but we want to show you. We actually have a baptistry right here. Uh, how many of you knew this was here? Raise your hand. Well, some of you did. Good. We have people all the time go, how do you do baptism? Uh, and that's where it is. And of course, we, uh, we uh, practice immersion here at our church. Uh, number 13, uh, where, what is your church leadership structure? We are an elder-led and then an advisory board uh, uh, advised and then we have a staff as, as well, and that's our leadership structure. Uh, some churches have a deacon leadership team. Some churches are, are led uh, by the pastor as the authority. Uh, some churches are doing it by congregational vote, uh, but we are an elder-led system. Um, do you let women speak in church? Yes, we do. Uh, and uh, I know that's a hot button. matter of fact, I had a few weeks ago uh, had somebody leave because they didn't 
They didn't think we were doing enough. And, uh, and so sometimes those things happen. Uh, sometimes, I know somebody's mad right now that I just said that we let women speak. Uh, and on Mother's Day, if you come, it will be all women speaking. And I personally don't see that the Scripture forbids the dissemination of information. It does give a list of roles. And uh, I'm the senior pastor here. And um, as long as I get to be here, I guess I'll be the pastor. And we won't have a woman here, okay? Uh, so uh, that's... Uh, but if you want to talk about that more, uh, let's sit down and visit with you. I, I know some people are, are very upset right now, and so please see me after service and we'll hug, okay? <clears throat> All right. Uh, next question here is, what version of the Bible do you use? Well, I usually read out of the NIV because many people have that, and it has a little bit easier readability. And I know some people have some very strong feelings uh, about uh, the version that you should use. I know some people believe in King James only. And I have a copy of the original 1611 King James Version. It's been revised four times since then. Now we even have the New King James, which is the fifth revision. And uh, it's even changed. And so when we start looking at Bible versions, I think it's important to realize that what we're looking for is not... Uh, there are a lot of Greek words and particularly a lot of Hebrew words that we don't know the exact word that best represents that word of Scripture. And so it's important to use the context. So more important than it is to try to get word for word because it's not always possible is to get phrase for phrase. And that's what the NIV does. Uh, sometimes you'll hear people saying, well, you know, the New American Standard, that's the one that's most accurate word for word. Well, by who? Uh, I've got some books and scholars who would say that they would argue with that. Uh, every scholar, it's kind of a taste issue. Uh, what's important is that you have an accurate uh, reading of the Word of God and that you have the complete Word of God. And, uh, and, and you're, you, know, you may use the message, which is written by, I think, a brilliant scholar called Eugene Peterson. And uh, matter of fact, the original message is they don't have any verse, verses or chapters. And that's because when the Bible was originally written, it didn't have any verses or chapters either. Those were things that we went back and added later. So uh, really, find what works best for you, and, uh, and that is okay. Um, we use the NIV because that's, that's what I have here. Uh, that's not what I, I study out of some other Bibles as well. What are your future building plans? Um, well, we're going to have a team that's put together this summer, and they're going to investigate that and then bring a recommendation back later. We're looking at hopefully only doing one more building. Uh, we've only got 15 acres here, and our vision is to be a church planting church, to start additional congregations out of our church. So we're not really looking for the mega church. Nothing wrong with that, uh, but that's kind of where we are. We're looking at doing one more building, and hopefully uh, God... Uh, if we're able to afford that, that, that will be it. And then we will be a church planting center and sending people out, which is something that we already do. Um, the next question here is, um, how do I get plugged in and do I have to be an active member to serve? Well, you can get plugged in through a small group, uh, through one of our small group, or through one of our ministries. That's how you get plugged in. And you don't have to be a member to attend that. You don't have to be a member to be a part of that or to even serve in a ministry. Uh, now, to be in leadership or uh, to vote, then that would require you going through our membership process and our membership class. Um, next question is, uh, who, are, who are your staff members? Well, we have a picture up here that shows you our staff. We'll start with a good-looking guy down here in the bottom right. I don't know why everybody laughs. They laughed last service, too. I've got a complex over that. Uh, of course, that's me in the right. That's Brian Blendon, our associate pastor. Then Case Hubbard, our youth minister. Michael Flores, our worship leader. And then Charlie Holton, who's been our intern and who now works with our chaplaincy and inreach. Melissa Pierce is our preschool minister. Tommy King's our associate worship leader. Katie Cannon is our children's minister. Brian Lakey uh, works with assimilation and administration. And then Cindy Lasser, women's ministry. And Walter Nussbauer, teaching pastor. So that's our staff there.
And then we have some other folks that uh, serve as well in some other key capacities. Um, then our next question is, what do you have for my children and teenagers? We have a full program for our children, uh, 9, 10, 15, and 1130. Uh, then for our youth, we have a, a 9 o'clock kind of in-depth study, then a 1015 for junior high, 1130 for senior high, and then a Wednesday night program uh, for all our youth. Uh, do we have anything for singles? The short answer is uh, we just kind of integrate them into the life of our church. Uh, and so we don't have a specific singles ministry per se. Uh, what kind of Bible studies do you have? Um, we have lots. We have a Tuesday morning, uh, and, or Tuesday night and Wednesday morning women's study as well as there's a women's study going on right now and a men's study uh, going on now as well. As, uh, and then the men also have a study on Tuesday morning at 6.15 that meets right here. Uh, as well as our youth Bible studies. Um, what is your vision for the church? Kind of shared that a while ago. We want to be a church uh, planting uh, center. We want to send church. We want to start additional churches, and uh, we want to constantly be sending people out and to equip people for the, the mission of the gospel. Uh, what missions do you support? Uh, we support CCA, which is Christian Community Action. We have several church plants that we support, people who have left our church to go and plant churches. Member missions, Monica Miller, uh, is we are going to be supporting her. She's leaving here in, in a couple of months to go to Tanzania for two years to work with AIDS patients and other medical needs there. And uh, then our associations, uh, we have the uh, Denton Baptist Association and the uh, Baptist Texas. And um, uh, the other one that's national that I can't think of. How sad am I? Uh, then our Naples Orphanage and Medical Clinic. Which brings us to the next question, what denomination are you? We're, we're recovering Baptists is what we are. And um, I can't even remember all the organizations anymore. Uh, but if you're looking at our doctrine, uh, that's pretty much what we'd be, that of a Bible church. And uh, we're going to talk about the difference between some tenets and teachings and taste in just a moment here. Uh, but that would be primarily with a few uh, small exceptions uh, or modifications. If you'd like to talk about that, I'd love to talk to you about that or come to our membership class and we'll explain all that to you. And then the number one question, believe it or not, is why and how often do you do communion? Uh, I know those of you who've brought up in a liturgical system, uh, you're wondering, you know, every once in a while people go, why do you keep skipping weeks on communion? And then all the Baptists and the, uh, and the Bible church go, you know, why do you do communion all the time. Of course, those people call it the Lord's Supper. Why do you do the Lord's Supper all the time? My dad said, why do you call it the Lord's Supper? I said, because we do it in the morning. I said, why don't you call it the Lord's Supper? I said, because we do it in the morning. This doesn't sound appropriate. Uh, but seriously, a lot of that is just semantics and terminology. Uh, and let me tell you our position on communion. Uh, we do it every other week. We'll do it every week during the Easter season. Um, the Bible, uh, you know, you've heard me talk about this before. There are descriptions and there are prescriptions. There are things that the Bible describes that this is the way it occurred. doesn't mean that thus saith the Lord you have to do it in this manner. Uh, and there are prescription things that are prescribed that this is the way we should do it. We've talked about that before. Uh, the Ten Commandments, uh, the Great Commission, uh, the Great Commandments. Uh, those were given to us and those are prescriptive in nature. This is the way it is to be done. Then there are descriptions like the New Testament church of how they did things. It describes how it was done. And we want to say somewhat similar, but we, we don't do it exactly like that. For example, in the New Testament church in Acts chapter 2, they were meeting daily. And they were meeting every day in their homes. And they were doing, actually they were observing the Lord's Supper every day. They were also having a meal. In the early, as the beginning of the church, what they would do is they would uh, have two services. Uh, they would have an, kind of an early service where they would invite everybody to come, and then they'd have another service. 
And then in homes, they would have a time uh, where they would have kind of an agape meal, uh, and then they would observe communion. Now, we don't do it that way today. That was a description of kind of what occurred. It's not that we have to do it that way. So when we look at uh, communion, Jesus said this. He said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, now, I think we ought to do that fairly regularly. That would be my interpretation. Some, Of course, some denominations uh, do it every week, which is great. Uh, some only do it a couple of times a year, which, I, quite frankly, that's the way I grew up. I don't think that's enough. Uh, I want us to do it more often than that. At the same time, I don't want it to just be something we tack on to the service. Uh, so, incidentally, we're not doing communion today, but if you come next week, we'll do it. And then in March, we'll pretty much be doing it every week. Uh, so, that's kind of our position. If you'd like to talk further, I'd be more than happy to talk to you about that. Now, how do we get there? Now, there are three aspects when we look at Scripture uh, that it's important for us to understand. Number one, there are tenets of the faith. These are the things that we say are the non-negotiables that define us as believers in Christ. They define us as Christians, and they cross denominational lines. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The authority of Scripture. Salvation by faith through the person of Jesus Christ. The Trinity. Recognizing that men are sinners and that God is perfect and holy. These are defining tenets that are what make us Christians, that we say this is the way it is. We believe uh, unapologetically that this is truth. And so that defines us as believers in Christ. Now, there, the next step are teachings. And these are things that we may not all agree on. Matter of fact, this is the reason there's so many different denominations when we get to the teaching aspects. And there are positions that it's important that you take a position uh, so that you can stand, but it doesn't mean that we're infallible. It doesn't mean that we know for sure that we're right and you're wrong. But it's the position through study of Scripture that we've looked at and our elders have looked at, and we feel like this is the truth of Scripture as we understand it, and this is the position that we're taking. Now, what areas and issues would that be? Well, church government, for one. We talked about that early. We're an elder-led system. Uh, positions on gifts of the Spirit. Uh, positions on eschatology, which means the second coming of Christ. Now, not if He will return, but how He will return. And is there a millennial reign? Is it a premillennial, a postmillennial, or amillennial? The position that you take on that as a teaching. Uh, soteriology interpretation, in other words, the study of salvation. In other words, is it completely the Spirit of God that draws us to repentance? Or does man have a part in that? Does man have to make a choice for himself? Or is it somewhere in between? Women in ministry, baptism, how do you do it? Do you do it by sprinkling, by pouring, or by immersion? Uh, and then communion, we talked about that for just a moment. These are teachings of the church. And then, lastly, there are taste, issues of taste and tradition. Music style, what kind of music do you do? Do you do uh, contemporary? Do you do traditional education style? Do you do small groups? Do you do classes, altar calls, Bible versions? How do you dress? These are all issues and matters of taste and tradition. And they don't define us as a faith. Uh, they define you, okay? And they define how people maybe perceive your church. Uh, but they are not essential elements of the church. Now, we're going to talk about baptism this morning. And I gave you a little test there that you can look up most of the answers for. I'm going to give you the answer to the first two, though, that number one, and it's, it's obedience and submission. As we look at baptism this morning, I want to read two texts to you. The first one I want to read for you is Romans chapter 6. And then we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 6. And we're going to look at one verse here. And it's verse 4. And it says this in Romans 6 verse 4. We were therefore buried with Him through baptism 
into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. Now we see three elements that transpire here as Paul is speaking. First of all, we see the identification. Baptism is to be a picture of Christ, a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And now it's the picture of our spiritual life, that we were dead in our sins, but Christ raised us and forgave us and brought us to life. So we see that first, that identification picture. Then secondly, we see just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory, we see the affirmation, the affirmation of God. And then thirdly, we see that we too may live a new life. We see the rebirth process, just as we saw Jesus speaking uh, to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, in order uh, to know Christ, in order to know God, you must be born again. In order to experience the life-changing grace of Christ, uh, that is a process of being rebirthed, as Jesus told Nicodemus. So I want us to take just a moment and let's turn now to Matthew chapter 3 and let's look at Jesus' baptism. Now when we look at baptism, it's kind of like the little boy who came to his mom at one point and said, Mom, uh, hey, i got a question for you. Where did I come from? And the mom had been dreading this day, knew when it was coming, that one day she was going to have to share the facts of life. And so she sat out and she went through it nervously with her son. And then at the end of it, he goes, Well, Mom, that's not really what I'm asking. What I really wanted to know is where am I from? Johnny said he's from Houston. Where am I from? You know, sometimes we have adventures and missing the point. And at baptism, you know, they're really... Uh, two kind of two uh, ends of the spectrum, and um, on one end of the spectrum, there is the belief in baptismal regeneration. What does that mean? That means that the process of baptism, of being water baptized, is when quote your sins are forgiven. In other words, it has a saving dispensation to it. Now that's one view over here on the far left or far right, whichever you want to call it. Okay. Then on the other side would be baptism is simply a symbol. It's kind of like a business card. It's like I have my business card and it says I'm the pastor here. And um, that's kind of what baptism, some would say that's what baptism is. Uh, it, it's an identifying marker. Now, that doesn't really mean I'm pastor. You could probably get one of those and put pastor on there. I could lose this and this wouldn't change my effect. But it's a card that identifies who I am. So those are the two, uh, kind of the two opposite uh, extremes of baptism. One that would say it's regenerational. Uh, it's salvific in nature. Another that would say it's strictly a symbol. Now, I personally, and again, this is a teaching. This is a teaching position of our church and re- recognize that many people disagree with me and there are different denominations that have started over this. Uh, I believe it's really more in the middle. I believe it's more than just a symbol. And I personally believe it's not regeneration in nature. I think it's a step of obedience. And it's something that Christ has commanded us to do. Now, let's look here uh, as we look um, in this chapter, chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? We see Jesus coming here in obedience and submission and an affirmation of John. John has been baptizing uh, people. And what's so odd about that is, is people were baptized before into Judaism, That wasn't odd, but John is baptizing Jews, Jews who've already been circumcised. So why would we need to do that? But John is doing a baptism of repentance. And Jesus comes and says, I want to affirm this baptism. And Jesus 
follows through in obedience and submission to, the God, to God's will in identifying himself with this baptism of John. But verse, verse 14 says, But John tried to deter him. Verse 15, Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. For me to fulfill the command that's been given to me by the Father. And then John consented. Let me do this as an example, as an identification. And so... Uh, as he goes here in verse 16, it says, and, soon, and as soon as Jesus was baptized, and the word there, baptizio, uh, does mean immerse, he went out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God. Now, that brings us to our next point here, is what is the mode of baptism? Now, the word is used, baptizio, which means to, in the Greek, it means to, to die, or to immerse, or to dip. It was the process of when you would dip bread into your wine or into your drink. Uh, and that was the word baptizio. Now, in the Dadiki, uh, that is a, a first century document that was written that many ascribed to the apostles. It was kind of a working out of the church structure and of the church ordinances. Uh, it talks about uh, immersing when, when available, uh, to immerse when you can. But uh, it also affirms two other positions. Number uh, the, One of those was that of effusion. What does effusion mean? It means pouring. And they would often pour water three times in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The other way would be aspersion, which is sprinkling. So it did give permission uh, to do that, particularly for climate issues or also uh, if you were an issue where water was, was an issue. So that was kind of a place and a, and a predicament where uh, it was used. And so we know that that was uh, observed sometime in that manner. Then as we move on here, uh, we see the last part of this verse here in verse uh, 16 and 17. So the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on Him and a voice from heaven uh, sent it and said, This is my Son in whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. You know, what's interesting here, we see the glorification uh, of this act, and we see the Father, we see the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit. We see the Son coming in baptism. We see the Spirit of God descending upon the dove, and then we see the Father's pronouncement. We see the Trinity right here, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, let's take a moment and talk about baptism for just a moment. Uh, again, we talked about it being a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and a public demonstration of our faith. Now, uh, in Catholicism, there's something called sacraments. And sometimes we use another word called ordinance, and really those can be used interchangeably. Sacrament simply means this. It means to be made sacred or to be made holy. That's what a sacrament is. Uh, in the Catholic Church, there are... For, not all Catholics observe this, but um, in traditional Catholicism, there are seven different sacraments. Uh, now, not all Catholics have held to that. Uh, we know that many of the Reformers only held to two, which were baptism and communion. But in traditional Catholicism, there would be these seven sacraments. There would be baptism, there would be communion, there would be prayer for the sick, there would be ordination, confirmation, confession, and marriage. Uh, now, we at, at Rock Point uh, affirm two, and or, or at least we uh, experience and we practice two ordinances. It's that of believer's baptism and also of communion. Now, as we talked about the views a while ago, we talked about the two sides, uh, the, the two positions that are frequently taken. Uh, I want to talk about that for just a moment. Um, when we look at baptism, I think it's important to see that Jesus didn't leave that as an option. 
even in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. He said, go into all the nations and baptize them. The Bible tells us in Acts 2.38 to repent and to be baptized. Uh, that is an imperative. That is a prescriptive Scripture. Sometimes people will take the opinion and say, well, you know, that's just something really kind of nice to do, but uh, I, I'm not going to do that. I don't believe that you have to be baptized. And I'd say that'd be on that extreme side where people start to see that strictly as just a symbol. They start to see it as just something uh, that you can do if you want to. But Jesus really didn't give us that option. He really made it. This is something that you are to do, and that's why He did it as an example. Now, again, I personally don't believe it's what saves you. I believe it's a demonstration of the faith that you have already expressed. But I do believe it's a command of God. I do believe it's a prescriptive Scripture. I think the best way for us to see it is like a marriage. It is, in a sense, it's kind of our spiritual marriage to Christ. And uh, when you choose to marry someone, how do you think the woman, guys, would feel if you said, you know, honey, I want to get married, but I don't want to do the ceremony. I don't want to do the ring. You don't have to take my name, and I don't want to tell anybody. But I love you. How much legitimacy would you give that? How much, how much would you really believe that? How much do you really think that guy loves you? I don't, I, I'm, not really, I'm not really interested in everybody knowing about this. I think this is just very personal between you and I. I don't want anybody to know. And some people yet will take that approach. And if you only see it as a business card, you can take that approach. But I would tell you that it is the marriage ceremony of our salvation. It is the pronouncement of our faith. It is, as I put on the wedding ring, not only the identification, but the affirmation that I want the world to know, I want the world to see. I want it to be a picture of what I have become in the person of Jesus Christ. So I want to take the name. I want to pronounce it. I want to be a part of the ceremony. I want the ring of baptism to be placed upon my finger. Baptism is important. Baptism is something Christ has asked us to do. I believe personally it's more than just a symbol. It is the consummation of our faith. Is it salvific in nature? I don't believe it is. But I believe this. I believe if you've truly trusted Christ that you will do it. Just as you truly love someone, you will go through the marriage vows. Uh, you won't just go with a piece of paper. I believe it's the sincerity and the ceremony of our faith. There was a woman and a little boy one time, and her, her husband had died when she was pregnant. She didn't have a lot. She was a single mom. And uh, as the little boy began to grow, he noticed his mom had a terrible scar on her face and her neck. And uh, he grew to be ashamed of that scar on his mother. He never asked her because he really never wanted to know why it was there. And as he became a teenager, he became more and more embarrassed of his mother's hideous scar. He would not bring people home and really encouraged her not to even participate in group activities that he'd had with his friends, even though it hurt his mother's feelings. Eventually, he went off to college, and while he was at college, he kind of ceased coming home. He never had any pictures of his mom and just kind of stayed away. He'd call her and check in on her every once in a while. But in the end of his college, uh, his, end of his college career, he got a call and the doctors told him that his mother was very sick and he needed to come home. They didn't know how much longer she would make it. So he came back and he visited her there in the hospital. And while he was there in the hospital, uh, he began to talk. And they had not talked much the last couple of years. And 
he began to kind of open up his heart, and finally he asked her the question that he had never uh, had the courage to ask before. And he said, Mom, how did you get that scar on your face and your neck? And she said, do you really want to know? He said, I really want to know, Mom. He said, well, when uh, you were born and when you were just a few weeks old, we lived in an apartment. And we lived up on the fifth floor. And there was a fire that broke out. And by the time I found out about it, it was, it was, uh, it was almost too late to go downstairs and we needed to jump out a window. Uh, but I was worried because you were only a few weeks old. And while others were jumping into the parachute, I was afraid that it would injure you or harm you or even kill you. And so... I determined to try to make it downstairs, so I wrapped you in wet towels and I took off down the stairs. But as I did, a couple of times I was slapped in the face by debris and by burning wood, and, and that's how I got the scar, son. And the little boy, or not the boy no more, and the, the man just knelt down and said, Mom, I'm so sorry. Thank you so much. A few days later, his mother passed away, and as he looked at the casket and he saw those scars, for the first time he saw them not as a mark of fear or something to be ashamed of, but as a mark of beauty. So is baptism to be a mark of beauty upon the child of God. So as the scars of of Jesus Christ from the cross are marks of beauty by which we have been saved, the blood that has been poured, so is baptism that identification mark of the believer for those who trust and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord. If you've not followed through with baptism, I want to encourage you to do that. It is the identifying mark. It is the pronouncement of our faith. If you don't know Christ, I want to encourage you to come and know Him. Baptism makes no difference until you've made that faith in Christ, until you've chosen Christ as your Lord.